0: Welcome to Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast with Elizabeth Crawford, where I dish with trendsetters, tastemakers, and industry experts about everything from emerging trends to regulatory pressures to marketing strategies. By 2050, the Earth's population is predicted to reach upwards of 10 billion people who will require significantly more food than is produced today and which many predict is not feasible without drastic changes to the way food is produced, transported, and consumed. According to the recently released report, Creating a Sustainable Food Future, produced by the World Resource Institute, in the next 30 years, the world will need to close a 56% food gap without increasing deforestation related to the development of more farmland. In addition, the report notes that greenhouse gas emissions from agriculture and land use change will need to be cut by two-thirds. While this is a tall order, innovative startups in the U.S. are already developing solutions, according to Ali Burns, who's the managing director of Village Capital, which manages the longest-running agriculture accelerator program in the U.S., and is focused on finding early-stage entrepreneurs working to solve major global problems in agriculture, education, energy, financial inclusion, and health. She explains in this episode of Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast how many early-stage startups are tackling sustainable agriculture by developing tangible solutions that improve the efficiency of farms, decrease food loss and waste, and offer, quote, earth-functional foods. She also calls upon policymakers and investors to do more to support food and agriculture innovation with an eye towards establishing a more sustainable food supply in the future. Burns explains that the mounting concerns around sustainable culture is not just hype, and that the threat to the planet is very real. And while she acknowledges some recent changes, such as the growing popularity of plant based foods, these changes don't go far enough.
1: The way that we farm, transport, and consume food um, right now is on a track to completely destabilize the planet's ecosystem, um, and that's for a variety of reasons. One, there hasn't been a lot of innovation um, when it comes to the way that we not only produce, but how we consume food. Um, it may seem like things are changing in terms of um, you know the types of foods that we're consuming, et cetera, but we're still generally a planet of meat eaters, um, which is... Um, at this pace, not a sustainable path um, and the way that we transport food, the way that we waste food um, is really creating an unsustainable uh, environment, literally, for uh, for feeding the planet. Um, and so one of the things that we've looked at is uh, how start- the role that startups can play in changing that path. Um, we really think that there are trends like precision agriculture, Um, Trends like uh, using biomaterials for food preservation and reducing food waste um, that that have yet to be really tapped into to drive some of the needed innovation.
0: When looking for viable solutions, Burns acknowledges that it's tempting to focus on splashy, high-level, quote, disruptive changes. But trying to compete at that level can be intimidating to a lot of innovators and entrepreneurs which is why she says small changes can be just as powerful.
1: A lot of the innovation in sort of the food and ag space has been more on the radical side, um, the side of Silicon Valley. How do we completely disrupt the food system um, through artificially produced meat, for example? And we're really looking at how do you innovate from within the system and how do you leverage sort of the key players um, in the existing supply chain um, in order to address some of these challenges. There's um, there's a line uh, when it comes to working within um, the confines of an existing system and pushing the boundaries of the system uh, versus completely starting to create um, an entirely new um, way of doing things. So when you look at like lab-grown meats or vertical farms or some of the other kind of top-down ideas that have existed that, that that live on the more disruptive side. I think there's a room for exploration of those, but there's also a room for exploration of really making the systems that exist better because that's where the urgency lies. We cannot continue to, you know, we look at uh, farmer incomes which are down significantly in part because they don't have the opportunity to innovate. Um, If we look at, um, again, sort of the unsustainability of the, the existing supply chain um, and the way that we're eating, I think we've, you know, there is a need for us to think about how do we innovate on the edges of the system that exists, and uh, those so are an opportunities that we're particularly excited about. We're seeing a lot of interesting startups that are disrupting in their own way, but they're disrupting within the existing system, if that makes sense.
0: Burns breaks down much of the innovation and need for solutions into three major categories so-called earth-functional foods, waste reduction, and precision agriculture. Turning first to earth-functional foods, Burns explains that the term refers to ingredients and products that are not only good for the health of people, but also for the planet, which she adds strongly favor plant-based options. For example, a report published by Village Capital earlier this year notes that growing middle class is demanding more red meat, And if that doesn't change, the livestock sector could consume 80% of Earth's annual greenhouse gas budget by 2050.
1: Earth functional foods essentially means foods that are um, offering an alternative to meat, um, offering uh, a lower carbon footprint, or incorporating recycled and upcycled ingredients. Um, I always like to use examples to help articulate this. Um, one of the companies that actually participated in our last accelerator, a company called Pulse Pantry, um, was created out of a recognition that there is a ton of waste that happens in the, the you know, with the juicing craze continuing to be something that I, I think particularly at the beginning of the year, you often see a lot of people going on juice cleanses. So um, we hear a lot about juicing um, at this time of year, and there's a ton of waste that is uh, produced in the process. There's a ton of fruit and vegetable byproducts. Um, that generally gets thrown away. So the founders of Pulp Pantry saw an opportunity. They said, there's nothing wrong with this byproduct. Um, It's certainly a way a a food that can be used. And so they um, they have actually created a system for for developing healthy snacks um, using the byproducts from the juicing process. They have, um, I think the name of their first product is called It's not granola, um, but it is a um, gluten-free, grain-free, I guess, granola alternative. And I have had it, and it's quite good. Um, And they're looking for other products to introduce to the market um, based on um, leveraging, uh, again, the sort of byproduct from the juicing um, process. And there's a ton of other companies out there that are looking at um, alternative sources of protein. We see a lot uh, about uh, plant-based protein um, there's a an awesome company in our portfolio called Kuli Kuli Foods. They um, use moringa, which is a plant that's actually found in um, some of the emerging markets um, around the world. Um, so not only are is it a superfood that can be um, ground down to a powder and sold and put into smoothies, I actually use it in my morning smoothie every day. Um, it's uh, it's a it's an awesome superfood and it's also benefiting the planet by providing incomes to rural women and and, in parts of the world that still necessarily have access to the same opportunity that we do here in the u.s so those are the types of uh, companies and examples that we mean when we talk about earth functional foods
0: while producing earth functional foods is a good start to stabilizing the planet and meeting the population's nutrition needs it won't have as large of an impact if those ingredients are shipped around the world in a way that generates a large carbon footprint. With this in mind, Burns says that the second major strategy that startups are pursuing to create a more sustainable food system is through supply chain innovations that reduce food waste and loss.
1: Food waste happens not only as byproducts from things like juicing, but um, as food is transported. So um, uh, an interesting data point is that about a, a third of food produced each year is lost or spoiled before it reaches consumers. Um, and I think that in, including millions of tons of food that's that shipped in long distances before it is thrown out. So um, there are some really interesting innovations happening um, to help Create more sustainable ways for preserving food um, in a way that is safe for the consumer. So, there's a company that um, participated in our program called Cambridge Crop. Um, they're creating an edible biomaterial coating. It's actually derived from silk, which is super interesting. And um, essentially, the coating is a protective shield against spoiling. Um, it actually allows for fruits and vegetables to have up to uh, 50% longer shelf life without affecting the way that the food tastes. Um, and it also can eliminate the reduce for, uh, reduce the need for refrigeration, um, which um, is really important when you're thinking about markets where there's no sort of cold chain infrastructure. So there's no way to ship produce in a, in a refrigerated way. So you can really change the opportunity for people to access um, fruits and vegetables in a way that is uh, more sustainable, reduces the amount of fruits and vegetables that are wasted, and potentially opens up markets where people wouldn't necessarily have access to fresh fruits and vegetables if you have a, a sustainable, safe way of preserving food. So there are some really exciting things happening in just simplifying the supply chain in a number of different sectors. Vega coffee is really exciting and essentially what they're doing is eliminating middleman and the supply chain for coffee farmers. Um, so right now, most of the value in the coffee supply chain is actually captured at roasting and most roasting typically happens after the beans are shipped. Um, so that it's happening if you, um, if you look at, you know, coffees, uh, particularly artisan coffees, you'll see that they've been roasted in New York or in Um, Other parts of the U.S., what VECA does is actually create roasting at the source, so is training um, and empowering farmers to roast where they are, which allows them to capture a lot more of the value um, in the the income that they receive, and it makes the supply chain a lot more efficient uh, because roasting is happening at the source. Um, instead so really excited about what Vega is doing um, right now in Nicaragua Colombia and, Columbia, and uh, I know they're looking to expand their footprint um, another um, another company that's actually innovating in the food waste space is gooder um, and gooder is essentially uh, was created out of a recognition that um, there is a I think any of us who have gone to a large corporate event um, We know that uh, we're typically overfed at those events, and there's a lot of food that's generally left over and and goes to waste, and Gooder is essentially bringing a technology platform to um, allowing um, corporations to uh, essentially uh, donate their surplus food and deliver it to local charities, so to be able to say, um, instead of throwing all this awesome, literally untouched food away, we can... Create a more efficient way to capture um, the surplus food and and bring it to people who need it and who don't necessarily have access uh, to food. So it's really exciting what they're doing. They uh, actually have a really strong base of uh, customers in Atlanta, um, and uh, they've been expanding nationally. So we're really excited about what Gooder is doing as well. Um, and their founder is she's pretty amazing. She has an incredible story. So. Um, I would encourage folks to take a, a closer look at good
0: Several startups are going all the way back to the farm to help improve sustainability of the food supply by looking for ways to produce ingredients more efficiently. For example, finding ways to produce higher yields with less water or inputs, or creating solutions to stop erosion and pollution. As Burns explains, many of these solutions use the same technologies that are fueling other sectors, such as artificial intelligence, robotic devices, and tools that connect with the internet to quickly process data and identify anomalies in water or pesticide use.
1: One of the companies that um, is now uh, in our portfolio, which participated in this last accelerator, Wexis, Um, Wexis is essentially... Um, allowing farmers to put a series of, un, of connected underground sensors um, in into their fields, um, and um, then has essentially an IoT Internet of Things software platform that allows the farmers to see the data on their water usage, on their energy usage, um, and better manage um, their energy and water. And this is particularly important in. Um, in um, drought uh, environments that are more prone to drought, um, like California, which is actually where the company started, um, to help farmers really understand whether something is underwatered, overwatered, and be really efficient with the, their use of water. So that's that's one application of precision agriculture, is this idea of like using sensors um, and an Internet of Things platform to allow farmers to actually... Um, look at data um, that tells them uh, how their um, resources are being used. And third sort of related company um, that's focused on the indoor farming space is Unu. Um, they're, um, they're actually a really cool company and um, their um, technology um, is um, fairly complex, but they're an artificial intelligence platform um, and they use computer vision. So they use a combination of um, sensors in indoor farms so that they so you can actually better understand how quickly plants are growing where plants are um, maybe again underwatered or having trouble with the soil um, and allows indoor farmers to more effectively grow their their crops um, using both the sensors and um, artificial intelligence and the platform that they've built so Um, That's a really interesting company, and it's not just limited to to, um, sort of sensors and software. Um, There's some really exciting things happening um, in robotics. So um, there's a company called OGN Robotics that is essentially building uh, robotic devices to help augment workers on the farm. So um, there's a significant labor shortage in American farms in general, um, and, um, robots are a good solution to help augment labor, particularly for things like moving, um, moving like large uh, pallets of berries or other, uh, products around. So, um, OG and robotics is starting to really do some interesting things in that space. And we're seeing some other robotics companies to help address some of the labor shortage issues on farms. So, so that's, that's a short overview of precision agriculture certainly there's a lot of um, there are a lot of companies and a lot of approaches out there to help uh, farmers better use data um, to manage their crops and and be more efficient and generate more income so we're really excited about what's happening in that space
0: As startups continue to do their part to improve the sustainability of food, Burns and Village Capital are calling on legislators and investors to make those solutions offered more accessible to farmers and manufacturers. For example, many of the precision agriculture tools rely on broadband, but 4 out of 10 rural Americans still lack access to basic broadband services. A problem that the Farm Bill Working Group was tasked with addressing, but which continues to persist.
1: A really important center in the policy discussion is creating uh, more robust infrastructure uh, for broadband, uh, for that, exactly that reason. Um, much of rural America, I think those of us who live in downtown D.C. may not be fully aware that much of rural America is without access to high-speed uh, internet. And of course, that is a huge barrier to allowing uh, farmers to take advantage of, um, even if they put a bunch of sensors in the field, um, it's, you know, they, they can't maximize the, um, the use of data if they don't have access to broadband. And, um, policy has always played a huge role in creating access to information and access to the internet in the United States. So I think there's a huge opportunity for policymakers to push for, um, increasing access to broadband, um, in um, particularly in rural areas, so both for general access for rural populations and people who want to build companies in um, these less connected places and don't have the advantage of having high speed internet, but particularly for the, the food and agriculture space, I think there's a, a big need on that front.
0: In addition to providing access to broadband, Burns says legislators could do more to subsidize the cost of implementing these new tools especially on small farms that don't make the margins necessary to invest in advanced technology.
1: But the, other, um, the other policy-related trend um, that could be a barrier for growth and innovation in this space is right now, farmers don't have, not only do they not have access to uh, the connectivity they need um, in order to really fully implement these pre- precision agriculture tools, um, but they also don't have the money. Um, it can be, it can be expensive um, to adopt these new tools, and and that could really hold them back. And um, you know, I think we know that uh, the data shows that farm incomes have been um, have been down over the last several years. And so we, um, I think the data is that farm incomes are down fifty percent since. 2013 uh, on a net basis. So um, we see a big opportunity for government to play a role in incentivizing adoption of precision agriculture by allowing particularly smaller farms um, to have a subsidy uh, to be able to afford these technologies. Um, uh, Parallel to this would be the um, incentivization, incentivization of electronic medical records in the 2009 stimulus um, something that I actually didn't know until uh, we started working on this, um, this report is that um, the 2009 stimulus essentially allowed hospitals to uh, receive a subsidy for implementing electronic me- medical records, and as a result, um, within uh, seven years, 90 per- 96% of hospitals had uh, a certified EMR system. Um, And imagine if we could do that for farmers, if we allowed them to have um, access to these incredible technologies um, at a subsidized rate, um, and they are able to significantly increase their income and their productivity um, through adoption and understanding of the data that they don't currently have access to. Um, and can't currently afford to access um, in, in the current environment. I think that there's some really interesting things that can happen on the policy front if we are able to subsidize some of the cost for, for farmers, and particularly for those who uh, you know, are um, not operating at the sort of uh, monopoly level, if that makes sense.
0: Burns also argues that venture capitalists could do more to improve the sustainability of the food supply by doing a better job of investing in companies in the heartland that are familiar with the challenges faced by rural and farming communities.
1: So I had the privilege before I came to Village Capital of working for an investor that is based also here in DCC Case. He is the co-founder of AOL and created an initiative called Rise of the Rest, and Rise of the Rest was really based on a data point that was driving him up the wall, which is um, that 75 to sometimes 80% of venture capital investment is going to three states, New York, Massachusetts, and California, and we know generally where in California, where in New York, and where in Massachusetts that that capital is going, and um, he'd been spending a ton of time going around the country meeting with entrepreneurs in um, cities inside the coast, whether it's um, you know places like Pittsburgh or Cincinnati um, or Nashville and um, we knew that there were really high potential really exciting entrepreneurs in the middle of the country um, that that investors aren't paying attention to and Um, We think that there's a huge opportunity for investors to um, sort of look outside their backyards. Most of the capital is sitting in Northern California and New York and Boston um, and look outside their own backyards because there's a big opportunity in the middle of the country, particularly when it comes to ag tech and a big opportunity for growth. and, And not only can they. Um, support some really amazing entrepreneurs who don't have access to the same networks and the same type of capital that they do in San Francisco, um, but there's a real opportunity for them to generate returns for, uh, for their LPs. And so we think that investors should really be spending more time looking at the heartland um, and looking at sort of food and ag innovation as an opportunity um, in a way that they haven't before.
0: Based on our conversation, it's clear that there's no silver bullet to creating a more sustainable food supply, but as Burns notes, there are lots of viable solutions, many of which have significant marketing potential that could make investments worth the government's and venture capitalists' time. And with that, we've reached the end of another episode of Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast. I hope you'll join me again next week for another installment, and to help you remember, I encourage you to subscribe to us on iTunes. Until next time, this is Elizabeth Crawford wishing you a productive and profitable week.